turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 23. And uh, I want to lead us in a direction that starts right here. Peter, and of course this is a, an epistle of Peter. He wrote two of them. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached unto you. Did you notice that we're born again, not of corruptible seed, if you read King James, but of incorruptible seed, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever and then later on it says and this is the word that was preached unto you the word of God ought to be the most valuable thing in your life you and I may say things and not mean them we may say things and it slip our mind and uh, whether you intentionally don't keep your promises which is not a good place to be or unintentionally don't keep your promises it's still a bad place to be but can I just assure you that when God speaks he means what he says he says what he means and it is a sure word and I want to preach a simple phrase nevertheless at thy word would you pray right now that God would speak to you not the person across the aisle not your family but let the word of God speak to you heavenly father we love you and we praise you and we've come to the place where the word of God has its moment and we're asking that through the sermon through the preached word of God that it would find resident in my heart that I would hear the word to do the word to not let it just roll off my my back and go in one ear and out the other but Lord let me receive the word we pray in the name of Jesus amen and amen you may be seated the psalmist said in 119 in verse 89 forever O Lord thy word is settled in heaven there is no changing of God's word it's settled that the, the Bible as we have it today it's the most incredible book known to man though it was written by multiple authors though it spans countless millennial it's amazing millenniums rather it's amazing that it is the true word of God and I'm going to just help you out it doesn't matter if it's the King James or the ESV it doesn't matter if it's the the Bible written in Spanish or the Bible translated in French or whatever language I've got in my uh uh office I've got a Malagasy Bible that my wife brought back I've got a Bible in French I've got a Bible in uh, the language of, of the island of Tonga and it's pretty cool because everywhere I go I'll find a Bible in another language and the first thing I do is I turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 and I want someone to say it because I can't read it so I want someone to tell me what Acts 2.38 says in their language because it doesn't matter the language it doesn't matter the culture it, the word of God stands true I've told you the story here in, in times past that uh, there is an island somewhere in the South Pacific and I'm not for sure which one uh, in the translation of their Bible when you read Psalms 23 they, they don't have sheep on that island they've never had sheep on that island and so uh, they had no idea what a sheep was they had no idea what a shepherd was and so in their Bible if you read it in their language it's translated Psalms 23 the Lord is my goat herder because that's what they could understand it doesn't change the word of God the principle is still the same God's word is true 
Psalms 119, 105. In fact, I, I honestly, and I, I have before, I could preach a whole message of Psalms 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. But throughout all of Psalms 119, there are uh, uh, references to the Word of God. Like Psalms 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Or, or the verses uh, 133. Order my steps in thy word and let not iniquity have dominion over me. The Word of God is powerful. And the longer we live, the Word of God is found to be more and more, and that's a, a wrong way to say it because it's always been true, but uh, you let people, the longer they study the Bible, the more they have to understand and agree the Bible's true. They can't find anything to deny the Bible. They, they find archaeological remains that tells you exactly what the Bible said, and, and they are forced to confront the fact that you can't prove the Bible wrong. In fact, there is a... A man by the name of Francis Schaeffer. I don't know much about him, but he has a series of lectures that he did. And in that, he told of a story that if you look in the Bible, uh, 1 Samuel, you find Saul the king. And in there, there is a, a understanding that in World War I, a major by the name of Vivian Gilbert, he was in the British uh, Army. He was an officer there. And he wrote in his journal, he said that while uh, there in the First World War, a, brigad uh, a brigadier major in Albi's army was in Palestine uh, during that World War I, and he, was, uh, he had had orders to take the village that stood on a rocky outcropping on the other side of a deep valley, and when he began to look at the map and when this army officer began to examine it, the name of the town that they were close by was Mishmash. Something jogged his memory, and that night, this major spent all night by the light of a candle looking through his Bible, searching for the reference of mishmash. He knew that it was in there. And finally, he found it in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And it reads, And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people that were present with them abode in uh, Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in mishmash. It goes on, if you read your Bible in that 1 Samuel chapter 13, it goes on, maybe you remember the story. Saul took his armor bearer and they crossed during the night to the Philistines' garrison. They crawled up a cliff, if you will, or a sheer outcropping of rock. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 4, there was a sharp rock on one side, a sharp rock on the other side. The name of one was Boaz and the name of the other, Sinai. And they climbed up the cliff and they overpowered the garrison. And the Bible says there was about a half acre of land and they defeated the Philistines there. How many of you have ever heard that story or know what story I'm talking about? 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14. That's what the Bible says. Well, this major in World War I began to think about that and he reflected. He said, I believe the Bible is true. And if the Bible is true, then there ought to still be a narrow passage through the rocks. I got to find two rock outcroppings. And at the end of that, there should be about a half acre of land. And so he awoke the commander and together they read the passage together. Uh, they sent out a few patrols and they found the pass. The same pass that Jonathan and his armor bearer went up. It was a very small uh, rugged rugged trail, probably an animal trail of some sort and they were able to go through those two jagged rocks and there they could see by the light of the moon a small flat field and he altered his plan of attack 
and sent one company through that pass over the sound and the cover of darkness. And the, or, or the, the, the historicals tells us that the next morning the Turks woke up and thought they had been surrounded and they took off in disorder and they were defeated. Many of them were killed or taken prisoner. And so in the lecture, Major Gilbert made the statement, after thousands of years, British troops successfully copied the tactics of Saul and Jonathan. It's amazing how true the word of God is, no matter where you turn. And you can trust the word of God. It's settled in heaven. It's settled here on earth. And if you're struggling today with direction, if you're struggling today wandering around, I would encourage you to seek out the word of God. But I want to take it a step further, and I want to take it to Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. Let you grab your Bibles. I may not read it word for word, but I want to expound upon the story contained in Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. It says that it was an occasion in which after the crowd had pressed upon Jesus, they wanted to hear so bad what Jesus was going to say. He stands by the lake of Gisinerate. There's two boats by the lake. Fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets and he gets into one of the boats which was Simon's and asks him to put out a little from the land so that he could not be swarmed by the crowd and so gets into Simon Peter's boat and Simon Peter kind of uses it as a platform if you will and pushes out from the land and Jesus teaches the people from the boat after Jesus gets done teaching he looks over at Simon Peter and he says Simon let's go out a little deeper and let's put down your nets for a catch of fish. And Simon responds very simply, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. Now, I can't, I can't tell you that I, I know what Simon Peter uh, had to go through. This was his livelihood. He did this probably every day or at least every day that the weather would, would, would work. It, he, he would go out, let down nets, catch fish, bring them home. That's what they ate. That's what they sold. Uh, that was his livelihood. But I will tell you, that in my life, loving the outdoors as I do, I have toiled all night and all day for fish, for hunting. Um, the closest thing that I would have in my life to this is I had a great friend of mine. He's uh, passed away a few years ago. But uh, I, I could go down to Louisiana, and I could jump on his shrimp boat, and we would shrimp all night. The way that we would uh, shrimp is his boat had these two nets that had big rectangular openings, and they're called butterfly nets, and they would go on either side of the boat, and we would be in the marshes and saltwater uh, brackish areas of Louisiana, and he would, what they call push, just real slow drive that boat, and everything is going into the mouth of those nets. They stretched out for over 100 feet. They had a big hula hoop in them that would leave the, the, the net open, and then they had a pocket in the back of the net and everything would have to go through the net into that back pocket and after a while you would either feel the boat get heavy or uh, you know maybe I was just impatient and I would take the rope and there was a pulley system and I could throw that rope over that pulley turn it on and it would pull those nets up and those pockets and then you would swing those pockets over a stainless steel table about twice as big as this pulpit and open the pocket of that net and everything would fall out and when I say everything I do mean everything uh, I, I've held a, a six foot alligator that could not swim fast enough to get out of the net and, 
and, and so you get that. It, you've got shrimp and crabs and fish and seaweed and uh, sometimes we would have jellyfish in there. Just anything trash, you would get it. And uh, I've been out there where we have toiled all night and caught hardly anything. And it's hard work. We had the privilege of an electric winch. We had the privilege of doing that. But over and over dragging those nets that have been uh, soaking up water. And I know what it's like to be out there, at least in this sense. You, you do that. You spent your whole day. I thought it was fun, but you spent your whole day and you bring it up and you open it up and one or two shrimp come out and that's not even enough for a cocktail. But Simon had done this and he said, Master, we toiled all night. We threw the nets out. We pulled them back in. We threw the nets out and we pulled them back in. There was nothing in there. But there is a phrase that echoes in my mind today. Peter looked at Jesus and he said, But nevertheless, at your word. And he threw the nets out again. And when they had done it, the Bible says they enclosed an incredible number of fish insomuch that their nets were breaking. They had to get other people to join them. They had to get other uh, uh, boats to come and help them. And they filled their boat and they filled their neighbor's boat. And the Bible says there were so many fish in the boats that they began to sink. Nevertheless, at thy word. This is perhaps because if you continue the story there contained in Luke, you find that Jesus was telling them that, uh, you know, you, you may be fishermen now, but uh, going forward you will be fishers of men. And so if you put all of the different gospel accounts together, this is perhaps one of the first encounters that Peter has with Jesus. And I'm glad that Peter got it right at the beginning. Nevertheless, at thy word. It would become a pattern for Peter's life with perhaps one major exception and that is when Jesus looked at Peter and said by the time this day is over, by the time this night is over, the, the rooster is going to crow three times, you're going to deny me. That was one of the few times in Peter's life that he just did not believe the word of Jesus. But most of Peter's life was wrapped around that phrase, nevertheless at thy word. It goes like this, are you ready? I may not understand what you're asking Jesus. I may not understand what you're wanting me to do. I may not agree with it. I may not even in my mind, if you're honest, I may not believe it. But nevertheless, at thy word, I will obey. I believe that statement ought to be seared in the mind, heart, and soul of each and every one of us. When is the last time the Lord spoke to you and your response was not doubt? Your response was not, well, I don't know. Your response was not, uh, uh, you know, well, maybe tomorrow, but instead you just said it simply, nevertheless, at thy word, I will obey. John chapter 21 takes us to another place very similar. It's the spirit at least the second time in Peter's life these are not the same uh, 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 stories they're, they're one was at the beginning of Peter's ministry as a disciple this one is at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth where Jesus comes to the disciples there by the sea of Tiberias this is after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected and, and, and he, he shows to them himself but Simon had said I'm going fishing and they said well let's go they jumped out on the boat and as it was, perhaps when they first met Jesus, it was the same thing. They got in their boat, and that night they caught nothing. 
and Jesus stood on the shore. They didn't quite know it was Jesus, but he hollers out to them, do you have any fish? And they said, no. And they said, cast your nets on the other side or the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now just so you understand, some of you have been blessed to go overseas and go to, to Israel and you can go to the Sea of Galilee. In fact, you can go and you can see boats that they call Peter's boats because it's, it's the same kind of boat that Peter had. You can go and one of the tourist things that they have is you can eat Peter's lunch and it's the same fish that Peter would have caught. Well, not the same fish. That'd be a little old and nasty, but same kind of fish that Peter caught. And these boats are not gigantic uh, uh, you know, ocean liners where you've got a couple hundred yards from one side of the boat to the other. In fact, I would dare say it's less than 10 feet from one side of the boat to the other side of the boat. And Jesus said, well, you're fishing on the wrong side. You got to fish over here. It didn't make any sense to Peter. Lord, we're only talking about 10 feet. I mean, if a fish is here, I, I will be able to get him. I, I understand. I, I don't under, uh, you know, why, why should I have to cast on the right side? The left side's been, there's nothing there. It's only 10 feet difference. But if you will look in the Bible, you will find that there was no, uh, there was no questioning Jesus. If I could insert, and I'm not suggesting we ought to, because the Bible says don't add to the word of God, but if I could insert here, that same phrase from Peter's first encounter with Jesus would be apt here when Jesus said, cast your net on the right side of the boat. Peter could have simply said, I don't understand it. Doesn't make any sense to me, but nevertheless, at thy word, I will. He casts his net on the other side of the boat, and they weren't able to get the net in the boat because of the quantity of fish. There's something about listening to what God said and letting that be your response. I told you it's a pattern with Peter's life. I'd take you to Acts chapter 1. While they're staying with them, he says, don't leave Jerusalem. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 4. But wait for the promise of the Father. You've heard me talk about it, that if I go away, I will send the Comforter. If I go away, I will let the Holy Spirit come to you. Don't leave Jerusalem. John baptized with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. They start asking all sorts of questions, and he says, don't worry about the times or the seasons. But there is coming in just a few days you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he goes up into heaven and he disappears. And again, if I could interject the word of Peter, he would say this, nevertheless, at thy word. How do I know that? Because Peter walks right there to the upper room. He doesn't pass go. He doesn't collect $200. He does exactly what the Lord says. And sitting there in that upper room, the Bible starts in Acts chapter 2, that then the Holy Ghost fell. There suddenly came a sound as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Cloven tongues appeared like as a fire, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And Peter would have said, you said it, I did it, here it is. Peter stands up in verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. He stands up with the other 11 and he lifts up his voice and he's talking to all of those that have gathered around and it's the message that Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and he gets there and he says, you know, this is what happens. You crucified Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, he came to save us from our sins. You crucified him, but he, he, he was buried, but he rose again and because of that, he has defeated our sinful nature and I'm paraphrasing pretty 
liberally what, G, what, what Peter preached. He says, you know, this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. This is everything that was come to pass. Let me just tell you, God said it. It's going to happen, and this is the result right now. And then he begins to tell him, this is what the Lord says you need to do. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost the promise is unto you it's to your children all that are afar off even as many as the Lord our God shall call and again if I could interject Peter's words he would have loved to have said after that if he said it your only response needs to be nevertheless at thy word I'll do it or Acts chapter 10 when Peter's own the rooftop praying and I know I preached this this just recently but I was brought to my attention again Peter's on the the rooftop praying and he's hungry and they're waiting for them to fix food and there he falls into the trance he's with the Lord he sees the heavens open and something like a great sheet coming down and in it all kinds of animals and reptiles and the voice says rise kill and eat Peter Peter struggles with He's a Jew. He had laws from Moses that said you don't eat those certain uh, uh, you know, uh, animals that are considered unclean. And three times it goes up and it comes down. And three times Peter tries to say, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to eat this. And the Lord says, don't ever call something common or unclean that I have made. And so it's there. And I'm sure Peter is sitting there racking his mind. This doesn't make any sense until that knock on the door comes through and there's three men waiting they're sent from Cornelius and God is about to unleash the Holy Ghost onto the Gentiles as well and I get in my mind this, this, this look that Peter he finally realizes it and perhaps he looks at heaven and he says nevertheless at thy word I'm here today to tell you and it's very simple I'm here today to tell you that there is only one response to the Word of God that you can have. And that response needs to be, if you said it, I believe it, and I will do it. There's no other response available. There's no other response needed. There's no other response that you can have. There's no other way to look at it. You don't have the luxury of trying to figure out if God really meant it or not. Because I'm here today to tell you that if He said it, He meant it so very simply as I wrap up it goes like this are you ready the Bible says in the book of John he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved the only response to that word of God ought to be this nevertheless at thy word Peter's response when he said let down your net was what I preached 22 minutes and y'all ain't got nothing I quit let me help you out let me wake you up come on y'all got an extra hour of sleep right the Lord told Peter let down your nets what did Peter do getting better the Lord told Peter and others go to Jerusalem what did they do he 
He said, tarry and pray. What did they do? The Lord says to you and I, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The only response to that is believe and be baptized. Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said in the book of John, he said, you've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. If you're going to do what Peter said, if you're going to have that same response that says, nevertheless, at thy word, there is only one way to respond when he says you have to be born of the water and born of the Spirit, and that is to do exactly what he says. It's Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. You've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You've got to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the response is, nevertheless, at thy word, I'll do it. But I could take it far beyond salvation. He said, you can pray for the sick and they shall recover. My response has to be, nevertheless, at thy word, I'm going to pray. He said, call for the elders of the church. Let them, let them pray. Let them anoint with oil. What do you do? I'm going to, nevertheless, at thy word, through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation find every promise find every commandment of Jesus find every place that the Lord has spoken there's only one response that matters nevertheless at thy word I will do it would you stand in this building today I pray